Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. This is Lori here with you today. I am podcasting all by myself without Melissa. Um, she is at home with baby Elliot, and he is running around like crazy. So we're going to give her the morning to be with Elliot, and I have the beautiful gift of uh, introducing you today to Chi Kim. Uh, she is the CEO at Pure Edge Inc., as well as the board chair at Great Minds Nonprofit. So Chi, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful and excited. I, I didn't even know you had a podcast until we actually started talking, right? I mean, it's um, really great, and I love that, that it's really about loving literacy. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and I, so I heard uh, you you speak to uh, great minds. And as you were sharing on our call, I was just messaging everyone who I could think of. I was like, how do I, how do I get her on the podcast? Can you introduce me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel very lucky and very grateful. So thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, thank you. Would you tell us, start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I actually have run, have the sort of privilege and honor of running um, a non- it's a private operating foundation called Pure Edge, and we are uh, able to provide direct service to school districts and state agencies on, um, you know, promoting uh, wellness and well-being for uh, learners and for educators. Um, we're also a grant maker as well, so we've been supporting uh, national uh, policy sort of driven organizations, and so um, we are a supporter of CASEL. We were um, one of the supporters of the Aspen Institute's uh, Seed Commission report, and we um, are also supportive of LPI, the Learning Policy Institute. And one of the things that we've really been um, hoping for is really being able to figure out the intersectionality of sort of, um, you know, individual social emotional learning skills and promotion of, and then also sort of at the macro level of, um, you know, districts and state agencies really being able to do that. So one of our main investments has been in CASEL. I'm also um, on the board of CASEL as well. So I feel very lucky that I'm on the board of Castle, and I'm also on um, the board of, of Great Minds. And so kind of marrying the knowledge um, yeah. with the social emotional learning skills and just developing sort of whole child, um, you know, levels of support. So it's been, uh, it's been great. It's been a great journey just to be here and then really being able to figure out how we can all sort of collectively work together. So. Yeah. I feel like you have so much um, expertise and you must be crazy busy all the time, um, but just so much expertise to share with our listeners who are across the country and even some, you know, we have some worldwide listeners, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, most of our listener base are uh, districts, teachers, leaders who have adopted high quality curricula um, and they are trying to make sense of implementation or they're they're starting their journey to do so. Um, so really exciting because they, I feel like they're all at like this pivotal part of their career, their, um, their learning. And so what can you share about um, SEL and how it's embedded into high quality curriculum? Um, I'd love to hear anything that, that you think our listeners might be interested about that. Thank you. Um, yeah. I don't know if I qualify as an expert, so I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but my experience, I'm 52, so I'm really proud to always share that I'm 52 just because I feel like I have a, a, a I was a teacher 
um, a principal and a superintendent. And so most of uh, the majority of my career has been in public ed. And so um, having been able to be on adoption committees, you know, training and doing all that sort of thing. um, What, one of the reasons why I loved Great Minds, I basically stalked uh, Lynn <laughs> and Jill when they were at a math conference. I said, I just have to meet you. Um, and I was a superintendent at the time, and it was because of Eureka Math. Yeah. And then during that time period, you know, once of getting to know them and then getting to know the organization, and then they started presenting wit and wisdom um, to us. And once I was on the board and there's another one of our board members, Teresa, she and I went just geeked out, uh, honestly, when they were presenting Wit and Wisdom because it was the first time that we'd actually seen content and both Teresa and I have been, and Teresa has been in education for a very long time as well. And really just looking at content that sort of addressed three core needs, right? Um, integration of content areas. So that sort of the humanities and the science flowing throughout um, having really high quality just books and um, literature and that it wasn't dumbing down for, for kids. And then also just the amount of knowledge that you gain from just reading even the kindergarten books, right? And um, yeah. it, it's just an incredible sort of um, exposure to, uh, you know, the humanities and, and really just great literature and just really the, the process. But on the flip side of that, something that, you know, we know that great teachers do inherently is that you create a culture in the classroom that is ripe for listening and learning and really being able to have dialogue and all that, you know, academic discourse that can only happen when great teachers provide that structure. Yeah. And and something that um, I know that in high quality curriculum, um, it's not an afterthought. It's done intentionally in wit and wisdom, which I think is what I've really fell in love with and knowing Lorraine who, you know, sort of the, sort of the, one of the core architects with Rachel, um, yeah. being able to actually see how do you find yourself in text? How do you connect with others in text? And then how do you actually have some kind of transition, right? Of text to world or community. And I think all of those kinds of things are naturally embedded. And so developing the habits of being aware of myself and being able to manage myself enough to be, you know, regulate and co-regulate with my class and then actually having the social awareness and relationship skills that are sort of baked in. Um, but at the, in the end, when you have all of that knowledge and you're actually set up for that kind of uh, dialogue in the classroom, you're also being able to make responsible decisions, right? Mm-hmm. How do I uh, engage with the text in a way that I see myself, or maybe I don't see myself in the text, and here are the reasons why. But there's always that dialogue in the writing aspect of it. But it's that real connection all the time. And really going back to the text as sort of your anchor Um, as sort of the mentor text pieces that just allow kids to be able to see um, in ways um, that I think can only happen when you have really core, uh, strong content. Yeah. Um, But but those skills are naturally baked in and I think intentionally baked into great minds, which I think people don't know that explicitly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's all, and it's, it's authentic. Like one of the things I'm hearing you say, right. Is that um, even if kids can't see themselves in the text, which there are lots of texts that they can, right. But I also want to name like, the purpose of reading is to, to have those mirrors and windows. So to see yourself, but also to see outside of yourself and, and see places and people that, that you haven't yet experienced and then open those doors, but it's all in an authentic way. And I think, you know, when I see, you know, I talk about it a lot on this podcast, when I see my daughter's uh, texts that she's bringing home. She's never bringing home an, an actual book, which <laughs> is a problem. Um, but it's always, you know, some uh, contrived passage of, um, 
you know, you've dri driven by a comprehension skill. So of course we could talk a lot about that, but we won't today because we're going to focus on SEL. But, um, it, you know, and it's hard to see yourself in a contrived passage about like friendship or about the beach or whatever it might be when the experience with the text is not rich enough to have you see that. You know, I mean, when, when students are reading the texts that are in, in the Wit and Wisdom curriculum, their conversations, I mean, I've witnessed it um, when I was in Baltimore, their conversations are incredibly rich. Their conversations are grounded in text, but then they're also pulling out what they're thinking and feeling, which I'm hearing you say is that authentic connection piece. Is mm -hmm. that accurate? Yeah, definitely. And I think part of the thing you do, you talk about the, you know, not bringing home books and you're bringing home, you know, <laughs> one piece of paper. Yeah. Um, I think context matters a ton. And I think that's the piece when you actually have literature that provides context mm -hmm. for the conversations, that's when you can actually dig deeper and really get these connections. Um, I, many years ago, I got trained in a program, uh, you know, and went and traveled with, my <laughs> went and, and uh, got trained in this program. And one of the the things that I always remember, I'm thinking, this feels so inauthentic, you know, pull, I just happen to have a poem in my pocket. And this is what I carry with me all the time. And I'm thinking, I don't carry a poem in my pocket. Like that is not what I do. And, but it's scripted that way. So when you're actually teaching, you know, that lesson, it just felt so off to me in a way that I, I'm like, no one's going to buy into that. If I can't, as an instructor or an educator or teacher in the classroom, really know the content in my, you know, and, and really feel it, how in the world am I going to get my kids to do it? You know, <laughs> I, yeah. there was that moment where I just thought, I am not saying that. I am not going to pull out, you know, the poem that I have in my pocket. It just, uh, <laughs> it just felt so strange. But, I, you know, um, I share that with you because I think that's what Great Minds doesn't do. Yeah. And Witten yeah. Wisdom, um, they provide so much context and so much knowledge sort of building around a, a unit of study that it feels very connected. Um, in lots of different ways. So um, I'm just always really grateful that there is content that exists that way so that, you know, we don't dummy down anything, right? We have high expectations of learners because uh, as they right, the motto is every child is capable of greatness. Yep. Um, and that is irregardless of community. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, that's what high quality content does. Yeah. And, you know, I think in, in context of what is happening in our world right now, okay. you know, and that people are, banding together and and I feel as though it's different it feels different in a way that's happened before um and in a really exciting way um and a really purposeful way that they're you know people are marching for change um and it's very collective and authentic um can you kind of connect the dots for us for how um students would like see an event like that and then use like the SEL competencies that they are learning within a high quality curriculum to kind of make sense of it. Cause I know, um, you know, we had a, a pre-meeting for this and, and a lot of those feelings, right. Are, are grounded in, in books and characters and like knowledge is, has so much power there. So if you could talk a little bit about that, I'd love for our listeners to hear you share about that. Yeah. I, you know, it's such a, um, I think I shared with you right before, you know, there's just a lot of feelings across the board, um, mostly starting with sort of a level of anxiety and, and anger, right? And just going through that. But I think part of the SEL structure and the way I look at it, it's it's not a kit. You know, you can't just buy a box, check it off. I'm going to go and do that. Um, and my daughter, when they were younger in elementary school, would bring home the 
you know, the little worksheets, you know, have your family conversation about, you know, what yes. was important to them. Like, I, I'm not doing that. And even they felt like it wasn't authentic, right? Yeah. But now what's happening in this context is, uh, you know, there's a collective anger. There's a collective feeling that things have to change. And I think the thing that's really hard for me to sort of wrap my brain around is there's lots of people like, look, I didn't know. Really? You didn't know? Like this, how could you not know (laughs) that this has been going on for years and years? Yeah. So there's a part of me that gets sort of like, that is actually a lack of knowledge, right? If all of a sudden this is a new experience for folks, that means that the knowledge base that they have has not been, um, that they don't have it. And part of the, I guess, maybe the optimism is that we can change that. Um, you know, obviously high quality curriculum matters a lot and knowledge building matters a ton. But I want to just add to that, that who writes the content, what histor- historical pieces are embedded into content is going to be hugely important. And that is a real need, I think, that um, exists that I know, um, you know, people are thinking about right now, especially history books. Um, how do you wrap you know, literacy instruction around current content and context. Who are the writers that we're exposing our kids to? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just those kinds of things that come up, I think, for me very clearly. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, when you think about the SEL skills and what's happening in our current context, you know, people are angry. They're aware. Like, I feel a very certain way. So it's your self-awareness. I'm going to get myself together so I have some agency. I'm going to, you know, go get with my friends um, and we're going to go out and, and march. I like, I can manage myself enough to do that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm aware about the social, you know, I'm, I'm aware about what's happening socially. So I'm going to try and gather in community. Um, I've got a great relationship with my peers. We're going to go in mass um, and go out and we're going to make responsible decisions, right? Of when we do protest here, here are the, the ways in which we can do that and still stay yep. safe. Um, and just to give you an example, Rhode Island Department of Ed, which is not related to literacy, but it's related to this piece. <laughs> That's okay. Island, we can talk about things that are unrelated to literacy. <laughs> but Rhode Island Department of Ed, when they knew that their students and their learners were going to go out and protest, they actually sent out a guide to all the kids. The State Department of Ed sent out a guide of how to know your rights. Here yeah. are the things. Make sure you take this. Here are your rights. Here's what you can do if and when. Um, to me, that is the most telling of their belief in young people that a state agency of education has said, yeah, you're right. You should be doing these things, right? All their social emotional skills are there laid bare for people to see. And the the state department said, yeah, we want to help you. And we just want to provide you that extra set so that you can stay responsible and stay safe. Um, to me, those are sort of the nice sort of, you know, marriage of knowledge Mm-hmm. And, and, and agency in action. Yeah. And I think part of that piece is when it's done really well and it's done very intentionally, you can use the context in which you are living and then take all those skills and, and really start to think about, I have this knowledge base. I know this is wrong. I know what the law says. I know what, you know, what we can do collectively if we take action. Um, I think all of those are just really uh, social emotional learning um, skills in practice. Um, I'm a big believer that when it's embedded into content, it becomes a natural part of the dialogue. You already know great teachers who embed SEL because you yeah. can tell by the way the students interact, not yeah. just in their classroom. Um, I don't know if I shared this with you, but we had a, a web webinar with students, so freshmen and one junior. Yeah, you and did we are just, this. <laughs> yeah. So we, it's, it's great. And they are so honest. But the way in which they were talking to each other, even on a webinar style, there were six of them. 
um, they would say things like, actually, I, I agree. And I want to add on um, and say, yeah, yeah, that's really important. If we think that too, all of those skills that they developed in listening and speaking came from great teachers, right? Because that's the structure in which they set up. And so we just knew that the teachers that these kids had um, just set them up for success in those ways, right? Of just how to build relationships and really being able to engage in that dialogue. Um, it was a pretty magical gift. I mean, that's just the SEL side. What they yeah. had to say was even more uh, stunning <laughs> because um, I think we don't, um, oh, I don't think as a society we uplift kids enough, right? The student voice and just their own agency, they are ready to do things at a very young age. We just have to help sort of guide, you know, the structures, but they are so thoughtful and really they know, right? And I, I hope that as people are starting to plan for the return in the fall, that they actually really genuinely talk to kids and actually allow them to be on these, not just the student council members, right? And not just <laughs> the kids. student government, just, but yes, all kids experience um, and what they experience is so important. So, yeah. And one of the things that you had mentioned on our, you know, prior call is that, um, as we're in this, this space, right, this is kind of a nice transition, um, as we're in this virtual space or this unknown territory, that we really need to listen to kids and we need to, what I interpreted, I heard, you know, you didn't say this like this, but I interpreted like this, um, assume positive intentions. So if a child is on a virtual call with, with a teacher and the child consistently doesn't turn their camera on, but that child is, you know, participating, the child's not being potentially, right, defiant. Um, there just might be some things at home that they don't want you to see or, you know, so that was really helpful for me to think through. If you could elaborate or say it, um, I'm sure you're going to say it more eloquently than I just did. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that because I think that that was uh, really important for me, for, for my understanding, just to, to think like a little bit differently about it, right? Because we are in this virtual space. It's new uncharted territory. And, you know, it's important to keep in mind that, you know, there are varying degrees of what's happening for our students at home and that SEL is going to look different um, in, in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think one of the points that you're, that we've connected with before is really about um, when you're in person and you're gathering in a classroom setting, you know, there's a lot of rituals and routines that teachers put together so that, you know, um, everyone's sitting together or they have, you know, circles or, um, you know, um, Socratic seminar, whatever the structure is. Once you go online, that sh shifts, but there's a context of home that has to be taken into account. Um, there are two examples, you know, if we already know the inequities are already existing, that, that, you know, delineation of who has and who hasn't That's right. um, is very real. And um, I think they're still trying to track down kids that they've lost, right? Um, because they don't have access and all sorts of things. So once you get to the point where you actually can, you know that students have access and they're with you in the classroom sitting online, really taking into account their personal experience. I think that's when it's so important that the teacher has strong SEL skills. Um, you know, if a student does not want, um, we can't be compliance driven in an online, um, yeah. you know, situation and we shouldn't really be compliance driven in school settings either. That's a whole different topic of conversation. <laughs> You'll have but, to come back. <laughs> yeah. But I think when you're online, you know, really being able to set up a situation where the kids feel safe, that they know that you care about them, that, um, when you're together online in that short period of time, you know, what kinds of relationships 
skills can you build through? But taking into account that everyone's home experience is very different. And so if a child's camera is not on, giving them options and choices, because even on our call with the students on the webinar, one of the students actually went into three different rooms and had a camera off because he was responsible for taking care of his younger siblings, right? There might be situations where there are kids who don't want you to see the interior of their home. Maybe they're just trying to find a quiet space. And being able to know that and really understand their personal experience and really great teachers that teach online as well, they have these relationship skills that they understand that. So they're not trying to be punitive. Um, you know, my daughter was doing online uh, schooling. And when we had the teacher conference at the end of the year to close it out, uh, we were on Zoom, all uh -huh. in our own rooms and with the teacher. And I said, hey, can you lift up your camera? I can only see your forehead. And the teacher said, oh, no, no, that's just the way she rolls. So for, for three months, my daughter's forehead was the only thing he saw. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because the rule was she had to be on camera. Oh but he gosh. didn't. But he didn't make her show her face or anything like right. that, which I appreciated. At the same time, like, huh, interesting. <laughs> so everyone knows my daughter's forehead, but it's. Um, I, I had to sort of laugh at that, but I also understood. You know, it was a for me. It was helpful for me to know that he understood how shy she was. You yeah, know, um, yeah. but still trying to follow the rules. That's what I was thinking. It. Like, what's the why behind it? Right? There's always a why. And yeah. like, I almost think sometimes that digging into that is helpful to get to know the child, you yeah. know, like, and then I think that really unpacks a lot of the, the SEL competencies that we're talking Absolutely. about today. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he had such a good understanding of her because of the way that he built the relationship. And I think it's, it's that piece before the pandemic hit, if you had great relationships with your students. Uh, during the pandemic and being online is going to be just as important. And right, you probably have them. If you had a lousy relationship with the kids before, there is not a chance that they are going to have a better relationship being online. Yeah. With the teacher. Yeah. You know, and you know what? I think it's going to be so interesting too. Like as we head into fall, there, teachers aren't potentially, right? Like say right. there's an all virtual, say it's all virtual. Mm -hmm. How, yeah. you know, how will they build those, relationships in a virtual space, you know, I think it there, it is going to be a lot of what you shared, um, really mm -hmm. building that understanding, building that trust, and mm -hmm. then giving them options in their agency, right, to right. express the way that they're responding or doing work, or maybe giving some choice in time frame. I'm just like brainstorming, right, for yeah. choice in a time frame, like, instead of the teacher saying, like, I'm available from, you know, from nine to 10 and that's when our class is maybe giving a couple different choices because at nine o'clock I'm taking care of my siblings, but at right. 1130, I have a great block of time that normally everybody's, you know, set and behaved and <laughs> busy. Yeah. And, you know, Lori, I think that is a great point because that is what a great teacher can do, right? They think yeah. of all the other options. They think outside of themselves. Um, I think the most important thing, you know, for me is trying to make sure that the teacher in this summertime lull, if they can call it a lull, um, is to really just start to take care of themselves. The, the level of anxiety and stress is so high right now for everyone. And it, we can't just go pop back in and say, oh, well, we'll come back in August and plan. That's not how teachers work. You know that. And I know that being a yeah. teacher, we, we ruminate all summer. Like, oh, and yeah. then you go, you, you go on vacation, you're finding things for your classroom on vacation. Like that, yeah. I just know that is the mind of a great teacher, right? Always constantly and consistently thinking about what's gonna, what it's going to be like. So their right. planning process starts at the last day of school for the next year. Yes. Um, so I think that part to me, um, 
really being able to think that through and giving some flexibility and some options really is important. And I think uh, you just really nailed that. I feel like teachers who really do a good job of being able to set up structures and routines that are helpful, um, I think that makes the biggest difference for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so one of the things that, you know, we talked about a little bit in before is really thinking through the structures and routines that support that. So say we do head into a virtual space because we know there's going to be some options out there for, for folks in the fall. Say we do head into a virtual space um, and teachers are using high quality curriculum. I'm, I'm making an assumption that if you're listening to this podcast, you're either thinking about it or currently using it. Um, I can, I kind of get behind some of the stats and dig in a bit. So that's why, that's where our listener base is. Um, could you share a little bit about, you know, some structures, some routines, um, any kind of anything that you think is really important that in the virtual space is like paramount, like obviously be flexible, give choices. Um, and, but anything else that you're noticing directly connects to like the castle framework or um, any SEL competencies that you feel like would be really important for our listeners to hear. Yeah. I, you know, there's a great uh, resource from castle's website. It's called the signature practices playbook. It's a handbook. Okay. Um, and one of the things that we follow are when we do our webinars and do our trainings is actually having the three signature practices, always having a welcoming activity an engaging lesson and then um, an optimistic closure. So we use those sort of the strand of those three things um, to be able to sort of set up any kind of lesson. It's the same for Wit and Wisdom and Eureka. It's already set up that way, yeah. um, I think, it, naturally. And I think that's what I mean by, you know, having this intentionality of the SEL practices sort of baked into the curriculum, which has been fantastic. Um, the other piece, I think, is really making sure you do set up routines um, for online learning. We know how important it is in the classroom. It gives, I think it gives... Um, you know, students a sense of uh, stability, right? When they are, they have an expectation, they know it's going to be very consistent. Um, I think that part, uh, I think every teacher will know how to do that and, and set up those routines. Yeah. The piece that I think is going to be very challenging is if you are online when you first go back in the fall, is how do you set up those routines so that you are taking into account everyone's experience? And mm -hmm. that has to be done with student voice. Um, you know, setting up, it could either be in survey form, it could be in, in and, and what they need. I'll give you two examples. Everyone loves the check-in, right? Uh, everyone wants to check in, but, uh, which is great, except for if you're telling me that you've done 25 things over the weekend because you're, you know, you're just wired that way. I did this. I went for a run. I did gardening. And I come in my check-in and I'm thinking, I didn't do any of those things. I was pretty sad this weekend. And I want to be okay with that, but I don't necessarily want to hear your 25 things that you accomplished because it just makes me feel worse. Right. Yeah, yeah. So really being and taking into the account, pe people's check-ins might not be what they really want or need, and it might be a little bit more invasive than you're anticipating. So at, at the very beginning, checking in on something that it's a common question that everyone can, uh, it doesn't have to be super deep. It can just be something light. I think um, balancing out the, the real life sort of, um, you know, sadness and angst but also really balancing out with joy and hope and laughter. I think all those kinds of things are super important as well to sort of build into some of the routines. Mm -hmm. um, and I think teachers just do that so beautifully anyways, right? That intuitive nature of nurturing and giving allows them to do that, I think, um, in ways yeah. that are, are really thoughtful. Yeah. But just, yeah, that check-in process for me, I think is one, um, just be very uh, cautious about what you're asking kids to do in the check-in because that also brings up their own personal home context. So yeah. that might be something that's harder. 
could it be connected to the literature that they're reading in class or what do you do you recommend that the check-in be something separate it just depends. I mean, it depends on how deep you are into the school year. I think at the very beginning of the year when you don't know the kids, if you have a brand new roster, you're going to have to think of things that are just much more personalized. Yeah. Right. Um, you could base it on a text for sure, um, but it just depends on the age level and group. And I think my hope is that teachers will start this school year really to get to know their kids and building that relationship first. Um, you know, if you go jumping straight into content, I worry that that is going to be an, an added stressor when people have not been around um, in, in order to engage. Yeah. Um, taking care of the self and the human heart, I think, is super important when we start um, because, you know, uh, there's content and then there's real sort of integrated structures where you're learning, right? And, and if your heart and your emotions um, all of that, your cognition is, is not actually, all the, the learning can't take place mm-hmm. without emotional uh, connection. Yeah. Everyone, it's in the research, it's very clear in the neuroscience, right? When your heart and head are connected, you actually learn. When you don't feel safe, you don't feel like you belong, your ability uh, and your cognitive load cannot focus on what you're trying to, to teach them. So yeah. really building up that classroom structure, really building up the this SEL skills um, in the first two or three weeks is so critically important so that they, there's a sense of trust. Yeah. And when you dig into content that is heavy or that is, you know, it taxes people to really think about how, what they believe. Um, it's at that moment when there's a trusting environment that people will share. Like, no, yeah. I don't think that's correct. Right. I feel like that is wrong on every level. Here's the reason why you can't get to that kind of discourse unless you have trust in the classroom. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And it's funny because I feel like um, in our Great Minds middle school team in sync team, we have been exploring um, collaboratively grade seven, module one. We've really been digging into lesson one to unpack it and, you know, what this is going to look like in sync. Um, and when we looked at the, the course of this lesson, you know, the the focus for the module is really thinking about identity in the middle ages, but exploring identity in, in lots of uh, different ways. And in this um, lesson one, you're, the students are uh, engaging with a poem called Identity. Mm-hmm. And um, the, there's a part in the lesson where they do an identity web. And so, you know, as the, the quote, like virtual teacher, we did an identity web. And you know, I just thought, this is the way that, that students are going to remember us, right? Because how, and we talked about this in our team, like how much did you love to learn from the teachers that you knew a little bit about them personally because you <laughs> felt like they were a real person, right? Like, yeah. oh, you know, I've, I've been here, I went here, I did that. Or, you know, you, you talk, I always talk about my daughters so they can connect to that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really like what I'm hearing you say is that it's a, like that personal aspect is really, really important because it helps them be able to connect to you as a real person and not just this like person who's going to guide them through knowledge. Because when yeah. we talk about these, these um, different topics in wit and wisdom or, you know, when, when we talk about them or write about them, they're so deep that this is not just like a conversation that is skimming the surface. This is, these are conversations that are going really deep and we want students to be able to think critically and analyze. And, you know, I always thought when I was teaching that I, I got to that level of Bloom's taxonomy, but I really did not. 
you know, because I didn't have a high quality curriculum to get me there. And so when they're having these conversations, they need to be able to feel comfortable in that space and, you know, sharing that information as a teacher is and being showing them that you're being vulnerable and willing to be vulnerable is is going to support them in that journey as well so i just want to name like that's we're having those conversations and internally in our teams about how we can how we can share a bit about ourselves in a virtual space um, that that is asynchronous um, but still can elicit that feeling of connectedness um, which is just like an interesting new conversation to have because that hasn't been done before in education. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's in, um, we've gotten feedback from some of the, the kids and the teachers. And one thing that the kids had shared with us is, you know, in some ways, us being at home and being online, we have better connections with kids we never would have interacted with in school. Oh, that's so neat. And these are high school students because, you know, think about high school. You go in, where are you going to sit? Who's in, who, what group are you going to belong to, right? There's all of these sort of social things and social norms that you're trying to adjust to and kind of navigate on top of learning. Yeah. But it's all of that social stuff, middle school and high school in particular, that you're so aware of yourself yes. that you either go inward or outward. And those are your two options when you're in a school setting. Um, one of the things I think is nice about sort of the online platform is that you're able to sort of put kids in groups and there's no jockeying for sort of, attention and none of those kinds of things are really taking place mm -hmm. because you're setting up structures in which that you actually can learn. And, and we've seen the data too, that kids who didn't like, it didn't enjoy going to school because of all the distractions and just wanted to learn are actually doing really well in online learning. That's so great. <laughs> and, and those, right. And there's kids that, um, you know, uh, when the teachers can't get in touch with the kids, there's a tremendous amount of guilt actually from teachers who cannot track their kids down. They haven't heard from their kids. They've been texting, they've been trying to find, and there's a tremendous amount of guilt. So there's a lot of reflection of what can I do differently in the fall so that I actually have all of my kids with me, that I don't lose track of them. And if they do move or there's some other you know, um, situation, then how can I best serve them? All of these things are coming out in these conversations because people are taking the time to reflect deeply on what have I done in my classroom? to allow me to actually have this beautiful sort of interaction online or what have I done in my classroom that isn't allowing me to have any interaction? Like where'd my kids go? Yeah. Um, so I feel like those are things that are happening right now that are allowing teachers to really reflect on how they set up these um, rituals and routines in the classroom. How do you build up the social emotional learning skills for myself as an educator? But then also if I know that I'm co-regulating my demeanor, my energy is also going to come out, um, over, you know, the, the waves of, you know, Zoom or whatever platform you're using, but it actually is very clear. And even the kids, you know, that we interview, they say, you know, if you stay calm, we'll be calm. <laughs> it's, um, you know, these are, you know, they're 14. Of course they know what they're talking about. It's yeah. been great. It's been great just to get their advice and sort of their, um, you know, their reflections on what's happening. So. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I yeah. love first and foremost that you're talking to, to kids because that they're the ones who are going to be able to share about this experience. You know I mean? Teachers yeah. can reflect on it and be like, you know, I think my kids, blah, blah, blah. But talking to kids is amazing because you're getting right. You're getting, you know, the words from their mouth. And I think they are the most honest people that we have in this world. Oh yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. They will tell you right away. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, I love that, that 
like framing it, right, like lessons learned from our time mm-hmm. in quarantine, you know, teachers and, and leaders and districts, like what worked and what didn't and, and how can we improve for fall and beyond, right? There might be some things that we want to take from that and, and continue on, you know, maybe there yeah. might be some really effective practices, um, that, that worked out well for some students who didn't engage before, like you said. And so how can we take those practices and, and continue those to engage? And if we do, you know, go back or not go back or whatever happens, um, be prepared and, and take the you know, know better and do better as we move forward. So I love hearing that. <laughs> well, uh, we work with this researcher, um, we, Dr. Carrion at Stanford University, and he, um, he's one of our collaborators in our work. And he shared, he goes, you know, when we think about kids, we keep thinking of them as consumers, right? We are going to give them this so they can do that. And he goes, in the consumer mentality of who kids are um, has really damaged a lot of their self-worth. You know, we're always sort of dumping things on. And he said, one of the things that, you know, we hope is that we, we find out what their gifts and talents are by allowing, by asking them questions. We find out what they really need by the, the, the things that they share. And then we find out how to make sure that we help them shine and really be able to f- perform in the way that they want to, you know, share their gifts with the world. And it was just sort of that simple sort of way in which, you know, we, we always do unto, I think um, <laughs> districts do unto teachers, teachers do unto kids. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, having the ability to use some core content or something to actually do the opposite where we're exploring and engaging in dialogue and conversation where we discover who we are as people, who we are as a community mm-hmm. and, and who we will be and who we'll become. I think those yeah. are the kinds of gifts that I think great teachers bring to the table. And, and that has to really be grounded in, in, in solid conversation. The reason why content is so important to me personally is that it actually levels a playing field for the entire class. Mm-hmm. Um, without that content, you know, you're just going on personal experience and that is really challenging when everyone's experience is different. So okay. putting that, you know, consistent context together so that everyone can engage in the conversation from a common text is why I believe that the content is critical to ensuring that schools do a better job of, um, you know, providing that, that rich uh, conversation and that rich dialogue and the rich writing experience. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I know that's intentional by design and that's what yes. I love. Yeah. Yes. And I, you know, I've noticed that when, when uh, districts are implementing wit and wisdom uh, for the, for the first time, um, the <laughs> biggest shift is understanding that it is inquiry based mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, there aren't moments where the teacher is providing some direct instruction, but much of the lesson is the students engaging with the content mm-hmm. and, and making sense of it. So it's, it's very much an inquiry-based experience for the students, which is different than how we've taught for quite a, some time. And so that transition to helping the student be the, the driver of the learning rather than the teacher, like you know, imparting that knowledge on the student, that's a big shift. And so that's, that's something that um, is just a, a new way of thinking for many educators and many leaders and, and many districts. And, and that I feel like when, when folks really get that and, and get over that first hurdle of seeing like, wow, look at what my kids can do if I let them do, you know, try or if I let them do it with some support, um, that is always one of the most phenomenal conversations with teachers and leaders and, and districts because they've, they can see what kids can do when they're given 
the supports to get there and then, you know, let them go to try it. Yeah. You know, I think when districts actually make decisions about adopting a curriculum, so when they actually adopt high quality curriculum in, uh, for their district and they're making that sort of, you know, stake in the ground financially to, to buy the materials, to me, what they're saying is that I believe in the educators I'm not going to dummy down stuff for them because they're not going to dummy down stuff for kids. Yep. And decisions are made oftentimes, and I've been in those conversations where, no, this is too hard. Our teachers can't figure this out. I mean, that is the most insulting thing that Very any much. leader can say uh, about their own teaching force and the adults that serve their community. When they don't believe that their teachers can handle the high-quality content, that speaks volumes about their expectations for kids. I mean, I, I, it's just a trickle-down but when yeah. the leader says, you know what, this is high quality, like, I, yeah, this is great. Let, let bring it on. Like, to me, that speaks volumes about their, not only their belief in the kids, but a belief in their teaching force that they're going to uplift, right? Having high expectations with love is going to do more good than anything else. Um, and I just believe wholeheartedly that that is something that, you know, people really need to start to dig in a little bit about, you know, what's the message? when you're giving quality con or not getting quality content, what's the message you're sending to your kids and your community and to the parents, yeah. right? That your standards are so low or that, you know, I don't believe that you can actually handle this um, because we've spent decades on skills and not on thinking. And yeah. so I feel like that part of, um, you know, that decision-making process already sends a very clear message about our belief in kids. I want to drop the microphone for you right now. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, oh, I, I, well, I feel like that if I have goosebumps, so I know our listeners definitely that it's going to resonate and they're going to have so, you know, goosebumps and all the feels. Um, is there anything we always ask all of our guests uh, to leave our listeners with one piece of advice. And so as we, we head into this closure, because um, I know you have, you're, crazy busy right now. You're doing webinars all day for, for lots of districts and leaders and teachers and just, you know, are, are so busy um, supporting with SEL and um, just really doing like an incredible job serving our country right now with what it needs. Um, is there any advice that you could give to our listeners just about what we've discussed today? Uh, thank you for that. That uh, was very generous. Um, I think the advice that I would probably have for your listeners is um, a couple of things. One, <laughs> one is just be kind to yourself, right? This is hard for everyone. We are living uh, a shared experience that I think uh, we are all going through together. There's not one perfect way. There's not a, a single answer, but just be kind to yourself and really, really take care of yourself um, as much as you can through sort of the next few weeks, um, you know, take the time to recharge, take the time to, you know, get your, your body and your mind sort of clear um, that you are doing the best that you can right now. And I think that's super important for people to remember, just have some compassion for your, yourself that, um, that what you're doing matters a ton. People care about you and you taking care of yourself is the least selfish thing that you can do so you can be around for the long haul. <laughs> and this crazy marathon that we are going to be in again and again. Um, the second piece of advice is listen to um, really the, the kids and what they need. I think um, around the country right now, I mean, there's a lot of pain for, for all the right reasons. There's a lot of pain. Um, and really being able to know that when you are helping develop knowledge um, in young people, 
it's so that they can actually have agency to make an impact on our world and be great citizens and thoughtful citizens. Um, I feel like that is such an important gift um, that we're giving the world that when we really care about the human um, experience in a way that we can collectively sort of heal together, um, that can only actually happen through thoughtful um, education. And I think right now um, the job of educators is probably the most important and probably the most um, looked at right now because, you know, we do have to have anti-racist curriculum um, in place. We cannot ignore that for another, you know, century and, and, and think that things will get better. People are hurting, people are angry, people are wanting to heal and, and finding the ways in which we can do that. I think um, teachers can and will do that because that's how they're wired. And being aware of what um, our, you know, what we're lacking and really just continuing our, our learning process, I think will be um, the only thing I can say is just keep at it, you know, um, have high expectations of kids and of each other and, and do it with love. And I think that's something that we can all sort of uh, do together, right? Yeah. But, um, thanks so much for having me. This was yeah. really, this was really fun. <laughs> it's very different than what I'm normally doing. Oh, so. good. Well, thank you. Yeah. I always feel like, you know, this podcast has been such an incredible blessing in my life. And every time I sit down with someone, I even, you know, I feel like I learned so much and I feel like it has been a gift to, to be able to talk with you twice now, once to prep and <laughs> once to, to like be here together today. And, uh, I just want to say thank you. The, the advice and the expertise that you offer um, is just just going to be invaluable to our listeners. And, you know, I just personally want to say thank you. It's just been a gift to talk with you for and learn with you just for the, the couple hours that we've spoken. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, yeah. good luck. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll run across each other again, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Jean.